Holds on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath at Arbor as Navarre gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! I suppose our youngsters would say cornball or square. And now, CBN Radio brings you... broadcast uh, uh, media can do to give them a sense of flavor it's all vegetable it's digestible it's delicious and nutritious right-sized and ready to eat it's made with real egg formula and here's a nice looking record package in from new york i woke up this morning with WCBN. America's ace of the airways. This instrument is good for nothing but to entertain, amuse, and insulate. And we will soon see that the whole struggle is lost. And believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the state militia at French. <laughs> WCBN FM Ann Arbor BN Arbor WCBN FM WCBN FM Ann Arbor WCBN FM Ann Arbor WCBN Ann Arbor A very pleasant, peaceful feeling. You relax deeper and deeper each downward count of my voice ten. Relaxing deeper, nine, letting the body gently begin to sink deeper, eight. 8.3. Yes, it's like a, a push-button radio, you see. 24 hours a day. Whether you like it or not. Oh, we're limited to a 500-mile radius now, but we're working to extend that limit. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and Jim Dwyer is uh, finding a parking spot, so he'll be with us in a second. Obviously, a uh, 
huge week with the departure of Mubarak uh, two weeks ago. We, I think, accurately noted that uh, it was not a question of if Mubarak was going to depart or resign or be forced out. It was a question of when, uh, when and how. And I think that those answers have become clear uh, as of uh, Friday, uh, sort of a interesting week after Gray Matters last week. The protests and the crowds uh, in central Cairo rapidly increased, and uh, it became quite obvious, as we were suggesting last week, that what was really going on was behind the scenes, the negotiations uh, to get rid of Mubarak. But obviously, uh, this is a sort of uh, revolution that's stymied. In fact, I would uh, argue at this point we're, we're looking maybe more at an evolution, not a revolution. And, of course, uh, Glenn Beck will come in with convolution. <laughs> uh, he gets a quick brain damage award today. Uh, he's in not in the Situation Room. He's in the blackboard room. <laughs> Today has, uh, I, I watched about 10 minutes of it, couldn't take any more. But he's just flat out wrong about the uh, the protests that are going on in Italy. Uh, these have nothing to do with his grand conspiracy of uh, radicals, Islamists, socialists, and communists. Uh, the revolts in Italy are the revolting behavior of Silvio Berlusconi. Um, this is a guy who was caught on television a couple of years ago. Uh, how shall we put this uh, delicately? Oh, I guess these are FCC qualified rule uh, words that are okay. Dry humping an aide on television. Uh, he's involved in a sex scandal, a corruption scandal. And uh, the protests in Italy have absolutely nothing to do with radicalism, socialism, communism, or Islamicism, or whatever. It's That's just bizarre that Beck would even bring this up. But, of course, this is part of his grand international conspiracy. And uh, it's a little unclear where he's going. But uh, I would recommend, Mr. Beck, that you get out of the blackboard room, find some good medications, and take a break, because uh, you need help. Uh, obviously, there have been political revolutions um, throughout many, many societies. Uh, the first real political revolution in world history, in my opinion, was pretty much the the English Civil War, uh, in which uh, Charles I uh, was beheaded in 1649. Cromwell took over in a protectorate, and uh, Charles II was brought back as a part of the so-called Restoration. Ironically, he emulated the court of Louis XIV, and uh, his son, James II, uh, was the final straw of the Glorious Revolution. So there, were, there was almost a 40-year period there before the British finally decided to get rid of the Catholics, get rid of divine right of kings, because that was a concept that James I brought into play. And if you'll remember your British history, James I was brought in to uh, be the king of England, because uh, Elizabeth I did not produce an heir. James I was the king of Scotland, and by most Americans' understanding of uh, James, we, we, we've heard of the King James Version of the Bible. Um, that's 
the King James we're talking about, and he believed in the divine right of kings. Charles I believed in it even more. And uh, he lost his head, literally, figuratively. Cromwell, who was a Puritan, ended up being a little bit of a disappointment. And the Thermidorian stage of revolution, and I'm borrowing a phrase from Crane Brinton, the famous uh, historian, brings back this uh, interesting pendulum swing. This happened in France with the uh, French Revolution. Uh, it happened in Iran. Mm -hmm. uh, revolutions occur. The leader is overthrown. The paradigm that Crane Brinton brings into uh, um, focus where he compares the English, French, American, and Russian revolutions is uh, the concept of the moderates being in charge for a period of time, which even happened in Iran. You'll remember Bonnie Sauter, goats by day, <laughs> sheep by night, as Saturday Night Life put it. They were in charge in Iran for a while before the radicals took over and Ayatollah Khomeini took over. So it was interesting that uh, Mubarak uh, disappointed everybody on Thursday night, uh, the 10th of February, and uh, resigned on the anniversary of the beginning of the so-called Iranian Revolution back in 1789. Uh, excuse me, uh, 1979. 1789 was the French Revolution. So Beck uh, needs help. The Italians are not out on the streets uh, to, to, that have anything to do with any of these events in the Middle East. They're just protesting Silvio. He's got to go. Naughty, naughty Silvio. Yes. Maybe Glenn Beck just wants a piece of that action. I think so. <laughs> Maybe the billions. And, of course, Silvio owns, uh, like many of the autocrats uh, in the Middle East, the, the television networks of Italy. And, of course, the Egyptian situation is so interesting as, a, as an event in, in the history of the world. Uh, Rami Khoury called the event cosmic. <laughs> Um, even Joe Biden said it was profound, uh, a, a profound historical development. And I thought Obama, who's handled this uh, situation fairly well overall, um, very good article, by the way, uh, in yesterday's New York Times about the uh, behind-the-scenes goings-on in the American government regarding how to handle and the messages that were being conveyed to Mubarak both publicly and behind the scenes, a fascinating sort of uh, deconstruction of uh, the tension between the State Department, the White House, and uh, even the envoy that was brought in at the last second, Frank Wisner, uh, who I believe was the son of a famous CIA guy named Frank Wisner that goes mm -hmm. back to the 50s and counterintelligence and all sorts of shenanigans that went on back then. Uh, autocracy, imperialism, monarchy, plutocracy, these are all things that are, that all countries in, in the world today have sort of various combinations of, and this is why the people uh, have these uprisings. I think that the key event in the Egyptian situation was that the military stayed out of it, yet they are in control at the moment, temporarily, and that's the big thing. Mubarak is gone. He's apparently uh, popping pills, laying on the sofa. Oh, are you talking about Rush Limbaugh? Or? <laughs> well, <laughs> he might be there soon. Uh, who knows? But uh, he's apparently not doing well in the resort town uh, that he fled to. He's not left Egypt. He's not been beheaded. 
And for all we know, he may be calling some of the shots behind the scenes. But let's remember that he's of the military. He's of the military, and what's essentially happened in Egypt at the time for, for the time being is essentially the Joint Chiefs of Staff have taken over. This is a classic military coup, and um, for Beck to claim, as he did today on his television network, that the Egyptians woke up to find the military in charge. What's he talking about? They've been in charge since the fifties. <laughs> But Beck's uh, forte is not American history. It's the pointer and the blackboard jungle. He had about eight of them Drama! Eight blackboards. One wasn't enough. His mind is such a busy and cluttered place. Yes. uh, Sorting it all out is quite the chore. Well, it was quite compelling listening. Uh, BBC Radio had some last Thursday night, as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, after Mubarak uh, disappointed everybody by not... Uh, stepping down immediately, uh, a woman speaking f- uh, via a cell phone from the crowd at one point said, we've begun to move, and I th- it looks like we're headed towards the presidential palace. And I knew right at that moment that this crowd was not going to disperse until Mubarak stepped down that very night. And, of course, sure enough, a little bit later he did, and there was much joy and excitement, and that was very uh, exciting to hear uh, people uh, express their jubilance. It was probably a military tactic to get part of the crowd to disperse. <laughs> Indeed, it may well have been. Yeah, in fact, you mentioned that the military, the, the key component here was that the military was not involved. But as uh, Lao Tzu would say, that is a kind of involvement Sure. to abstain, to wait. There is a moment to act and a moment to wait. And the smart move here was to wait. Now, uh, the Egyptian people did not wake up to discover that the military was in charge. But, as you say, that's been the case since the 50s. <clears throat> and, but, of course, uh, before that, they had a monarchy. So we're right. not talking here about... Uh, there is no democratic tradition no, no. Uh, at all in uh, this country. Um, but it will be interesting to see. Of course, now the army is sort of uh, going through the square and uh, the nice photos of them having engaging in discourse with uh, the protesters. Um, it would be nice if we had images of that from American history. Uh, there's mostly angry discourse between protesters and uh, police in our nation's history of uh, various kinds of civil disobedience. Uh, but one wonders, uh, over the next few months, as more and more uh, Egyptians realize that, well, the army's funded by the U.S., which is the same support that Mubarak enjoyed. And so really, at the end of the day, how much difference is there? Um, the military knows which side of the bread is buttered and who's doing the buttering. So I think that uh, if cooler heads continue to prevail, uh, we will see some sort of uh, modified military democratic uh, state. But uh, A transition period. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, of course, the military is going to look out for their interests. Because I think that it's interesting that CNBC has been fairly uh frequently reporting throughout this whole uh, these whole uh, uh, last several weeks that the uh, Egyptian military controls about 25 to 33% of the Egyptian economy. Right. They have enterprises, they apparently have bakeries. <laughs> They're responsible for bread in more ways than one. Um and it will be fascinating to find out if indeed how much money Mubarak has um shall we say, uh, 
made off with. Uh, Mobutu'd away? Yeah, Mobutu'd away, whether it's a, the scale of a Mobutu or a Suharto. Suharto mm-hmm. The Suharto uh, kleptocracy was absolutely incredible. And this gets back to the American-backed autocracies that I think Obama wisely stayed away from. What's interesting about the uh, the article in the in the Sunday New York Times by Helene uh, Cooper, Mark Landler, and David Sanger, who is uh, one of their sort of chief White House, uh, along with Helene Cooper, discusses is how Obama actually had better instincts about what to say. He was the one that was uh, furious with Mubarak at times. There certainly were um, the, the discussions behind the scenes. It's interesting that at one point he called Mubarak and told him it's time uh, to present to the people of Egypt its next government. The future of your country is at stake. Mubarak replied, let's talk in the next three or four days, he added. And when we talk, you will find that I was right. The two men never talked again. Hmm. Uh, it talks a little bit about the mixed messages of the White House during this crisis. Hillary Clinton, of course, has come under some criticism uh, for her mixed messages, but we need to remember that she's Secretary of State, and her interests are quite different um, and are bureaucratic in nature. And when uh, the article notes, as I think the mainstream is widely reported, that Mrs. Clinton is... Uh, concerned about stability, the Mideast peace process, you know, these sort of um, centrist sort of uh, Council of Foreign Relations type of uh, uh, an agenda. But let's also remember that uh, Hillary Clinton gave a scathing, this is the uh, article from Mark Landler, dated uh, January 14th, this is while the Tunisian uprisings are occurring, And the Egyptian uprisings haven't even started. They started, interestingly, the very day that Obama gave his State of the Union. And it's just fascinating to read a summary of what the Wall Street Journal was reporting on that day, from that day. Uh, This is actually dated the 26th, the day after Obama's State of the Union and after the Egyptian revolts, quote-unquote, started. They give a summary of the... uh, this is the what's news section. This is going to be the Internet version of your news here in a couple yeah. of years. Not much context, but the, the, the headlines are very interesting. There's a couple of articles about terrorism that I'll skip. Um, but l- let's, uh, let's continue these headlines uh, b- besides the State of the Union uh, that Obama gave. Federal officials say they busted a dr- uh, gun smuggling uh, operation to uh, Mexican drug cartels. Karzai blasts Western envoys for fomenting a crisis by pressing him to uh, inaugurate uh, the Afghan parliament. Pentagon officers are close to comp- co- uh, completing a review to reduce civilian casualties in Afghanistan. Leaked Palestinian papers revealed growing cooperation with Israel that has improved West Bank uh, security. A couple of domestic items that, that I'll skip. Um, Chinese military experts denied that China developed its new stealth fighter with secret U.S. technology. Wall Street Journal files a uh, lawsuit to overturn papers uh, regarding Medicare. Suicide bombings at Shiite uh, marches in Pakistan killed 12 people. Russia's lower house ratified the nuclear arms pact, virtually assuring passage uh, with the United States. And a bus in a Muslim in Manila, which is the Philippines, 
Uh, kills four. Al-Qaeda-linked militants are suspected. So it's interesting that these were the events that were occurring right as the Egyptian protests erupt. And I mention a lot of these countries because, you know, there's a lot of discussion that America won the Cold War and Russia is somehow part of the, the West now, but it's not. There's trade going on, but there are autocracies all over the former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. There's even questions about how much democracy is in Russia these days. The oligarchs are in charge. Putin, former head of KGB, uh, runs the place. So uh, th- this idea that uh, Ronald Reagan, I even heard one critic say that Ronald Reagan deserves credit for the events in Egypt. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was like, no, no, no. He was the president when Mubarak took over. <laughs> and of course, he took over in an assassination. Yep. But uh, let's uh, realize that the Muslim Brotherhood is not taking over in Egypt. Egypt is a very complicated, diverse society. And uh, the media, I think, has overplayed this social media business. It's obviously played a role. The crowds uh, grew in the Tahrir Square area because uh, the Internet and television stations were shut down. And they sort of fled to the area as as a place to get info and whatnot. But I think it's important, as uh, Frank Rich notes in his column, that uh, Malcolm Gladwell in The New Yorker, uh, the New Yorker's website last week said, surely the least interesting fact about the uh, Egyptian protesters is that some of them may or may not have been uh, at one point unemployed or employed. Some of the tools of the new media to communicate with one another. What's important is why they were driven to do it in the first place. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter how you got the news uh, on the one hand. Um, it'll be interesting to... Uh, Maybe hear what uh, Jamie has to say on the uh, interactive technology show mm-hmm. about that whole thing. I'm not really uh, one who follows the tweets and Twitters outside of uh, uh, tweets and emails with uh, Craig Ferguson on the Late Late Show. I only follow the twits and the tweeters. <laughs> um, and I avoid the skeeters. But it will be interesting to see that uh, with the widespread, increasingly widespread use of these quote-unquote social media, all media are social to some extent. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a misnomer. Um, It will be interesting to see if, should Egypt be lucky enough to get something like a democracy, uh, will increasing access to so-called social networks lead to greater participation by the young in civic affairs and politics or will they simply be uh pretty much what american tweets and facebook are is just simply uh, you know rehashing the same old same old and consumerist uh you know focuses and so forth um it remains to be seen how uh successful the social uh media will be at uh sustaining this kind of involvement it seems to be pretty much a passive you know sit at home and check the status of your friends sort of thing oh there's a party at stephanie's house yeah on saturday yeah that's great Let's and of go. course it can lead to crowds i've seen this in the cab business that all of a sudden a crowd will just explode at some bar because of the well that's like some joke thing like the, hey let's all go here now yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh you know <laughs> what's the good of that <laughs> then nobody can get in <laughs> yeah, the the line gets too big, and 
It's interesting. Tweet in the, pranks. In the, in the Frank Rich column, he, he uh, points out, uh, quoting a, uh, a fellow named uh, Evgeny Morozarov, who uh, in a new uh, book called uh, entitled The Net Delusion, is a young scholar born in Be Belarus, challenges the conventional wisdom about what he calls cyper-utopianism. Mm. Among the other mischievous fact he reports is that there were only 19,000 registered Twitter accounts in Iran. 0.027% of the population on the eve of what many American pundits rebranded as the Twitter revolution. Mm. Very small. And, of course, it's been widely reported that only 20% of the uh, Egyptian population even has access to the Internet. So this was a, uh, I think, a pluralistic, genuine spreading of a, a, mess, a message that Mubarak had to go, and uh, that worked. But obviously the process that's going to go forward is anybody's guess. And it's a lot more complicated than can be managed in the limited confines of a tweet discourse. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Although, it, on a related note, um, Saudi Arabia, of course, has to uh, look with some anxiety at the events uh, that have swept through Egypt. Uh, read a brief uh, thing here. A Twitter of protest from uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia by Abir Alam. Prince Khalid al-Faisal, governor of Mecca province, invited five Saudis last week for a briefing on the government's efforts to deal with flooding in the Red Sea city of Jeddah. Hundreds of people died in floods there, and the commercial harbor was left submerged in a mix of sewage and rainwater, revealing huge flaws in the city's infrastructure, fueling accusations of corruption. Uh, in any other country, that might have been unremarkable, but the group that met with the prince included Fouad al-Farhan, a blogger who had spent two years in jail for writing about corruption and reform and is banned from traveling. However, he was asked to send the royals' regards to the young people on Twitter and to brief them on the discussion. So will this guy be simply co-opted and paid off by the prince to, hey, you know, you feed the Twitter feed, you know, people uh, highlights from our meeting and uh, maybe we'll let you do some travel or something, you know. It's a bit of an exploitative maneuver, I think, in that particular case. Uh, it certainly gives them the uh, appearance of reaching out to the younger crowd. But again, how many people are doing Twitter in Saudi Arabia? I think probably very few. Yeah, and of course, the, the you know, the the real issue in this... Uh, Outside of the Saudi royal family themselves, of course, who don't yeah. care about the flooding. <laughs> well, and of course, the real issue is this is this rapid rise of... Uh, of um, as Tom Friedman puts it, and sometimes he gets things a little bollocked up, but sometimes he gets it right. He calls it the educated unemployed. Mm. Uh, there's huge uh, rates of unemployment in many of these societies. Uh, young people is Rami Khoury. And his... Lots of young people in these uh, societies. Yeah. Too. And, of course, this is even a problem here at home, here in the United mm. States. Um, of course, in, in the United States, there are a lot of older people that are finding it very difficult to get jobs because they don't tweet and twit and gallivant about on the internet. That's right. They don't have those, quote, social skills that are so necessary for advertising, marketing, and all the other rubbish that goes on in the American economy. But this high rate of unemployment, these massive youth societies, the explosion of population that I noted uh, two weeks ago, you know, Egypt has grown by 20 million people just in the last 15 years. 
population-wise. Uh, Rami Khoury talked about the ex- really high rates throughout the Arab world of people that desire to emigrate. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is going on in Italy, uh, too. Um, these societies, and uh, we've seen in the immigration issue both in uh, the United States and Western Europe that there's growing resistance to allowing Muslims to emigrate into their country for cultural reasons and economic reasons. Some of these are fear. It, it, some of this is fear mongering, but some of this is legitimate. Uh, legitimate concerns about the the societies that these countries want to emigrate to. How many jobs are available to immigrants, right. really? Um, and what are you going to do? Egypt, of course, is is a country that's relied heavily, incidentally, on well-educated uh, Egyptians to. Um, Send money back to the relatives, so to speak, very similar to uh, uh, some of the illegal immigrants that are in the United States uh, vis-a-vis Mexico. Mm-hmm. And these Mexico is another country that's population has exploded in the last 50 years that's created these uh, real global issues regarding uh, the movement of people and how people fit into, into, into societies and what, what the role of immigration and emigration are going to be. These are serious issues that are not going to go away with uh, Mubarak uh, um, leaving the palace. Yeah, actually, there's an essay from about oh, five or six years before he died by Jacques Derrida on cosmopolitanism that addresses this very issue, uh, even in the uh, late 90s and early aughts, uh, recognized as a growing concern. And of course, movements of people. China has a huge uh, problem in their society. They have 400 to 500 million people Mm -hmm. in rural areas that are living in relative poverty. Now, not the kind of poverty that we associate with uh, places like Haiti or Bangladesh, but uh, maybe China can buy big chunks of Montana. Yeah, or maybe big chunks of Alaska. <laughs> hmm. That'll solve. You can virtually see it from China. <laughs> you can. <laughs> and you can touch it with your Twitter account. Yes, indeedy. Very interesting events. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think that Obama's statement on Friday after Mubarak finally did resign, I thought was fascinating, too. His mention of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. He did not take a victory lap and say, "Hey, look at me! I called yeah. all everything right." It was it was a modest statement, and it had a very interesting um, historical observation about "quote unquote" people power and the issue of nonviolence. While there was some violence in Egypt, uh, you know, the casualties were probably in the low hundreds, and as I put it, some of what I witnessed on television was just outright criminality. Right, it had nothing to do with politics. Uh, I witnessed pretty much a murder on live TV on NBC. At uh, well, when you get crowds that huge, you know, yeah, how many people are injured, say, on New Year's Eve in Times Square? Sure, you never know, and and crowds uh, can be sometimes dangerous. But by and large, it was nonviolent, and certainly the the people with the political message mm-hmm. were nonviolent. It's the goons from the other side that provoked the violence. We saw this throughout the 60s uh, in, in the United States, in which the national security state, uh, broadly speaking, created the violence in many right. situations to make the public think that it was the Vietnam War protesters that were being violent. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, the civil rights protesters were confronted with incredibly violent responses by the security of 
Alabama and Bull Connor and, and that the sort of stuff. Duly accredited representatives of the law. Yeah, and this uh, this this thing about stability and uh, protests is, is is another interesting dynamic that uh, is probably not going to go away in any society. Um, I was ironically noting a couple of weeks ago that as the Egyptian um, uh, 